Good all around the room, welcome. You're here as we do two things this morning. We will take the elements of the Lord's table together. So in this room, you'll have the opportunity, if you haven't already, to make sure you have those elements in your possession. If you're joining us online, it's not too late, of course, to get those elements. Uh, bread works. Uh, almost expired orange juice works, works, because it's not about the orange juice. It's about the symbolism. It points to Jesus, right? And so we're also doing our best to take a look at, at what happened 506 years ago with the Protestant Reformation and remind ourselves of the ground that was gained as Martin Luther wanted to see the church reformed and in essence uh, ended up starting a, a movement that uh, broke away from the existing Catholic Church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, so we'll look at that as we go this morning as well. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Um, you're going to feel us pacing this morning toward the communion table, and that is by design. So uh, we're, we're going to take this time of, of meditation and devotion to focus in on Jesus. Romans 5, 6 through 11. Let me start by reading this passage. For a while... We were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And Father, as we come to you today, even as we approach the word, each of us in a different way, we've got these heavy things in our hearts. Some of us are carrying our own stuff. That's hard. It's been hard this week. Help us focus on Jesus. Some of us are focused on the issues of the last three, four days in Lewiston, Maine, where we see great tragedy and senseless violence, and we do not want to be unmoved. Father, we live in this world, and it's broken, and we ask for grace and mercy on Maine. Some of us are more focused on escalating activity in Israel. 229 hostages, last we knew, still held. A war that is ticking up. And our hearts, Lord, really are, are heavy as we see the world and we see the nation and we live in our own trouble. And then we come to this text. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would help us focus in how is Jesus the answer for all of these things and more? Our eyes need to see and our hearts need to feel today. And so we pray for help in this. Oh, come and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
can see in the message insert, the, uh, the emphasis that we want to have on this Reformation Sunday is to emphasize what we learned in the Reformation. Now, we talk about the five solas of the Reformation as if everybody at the time knew what was going on. Truth is that the five solas of the Reformation we talk about, and again, outlined in your, in your notes, Scriptura, Christus, Gratia, Fide, Dea, Sola, Soli, Dea, Gloria, that really wasn't like summarized until the 20th century. We didn't, we didn't have that in a place like, it wasn't like all of them in 1517 were like, this is what we're about, right? Even Martin Luther wouldn't have said, this is what we were about. He famously said in a letter to his Rasmus, uh, he felt like the Reformation was about this one thing, namely, what does a man, what does an individual contribute to his own salvation? And we later kind of outlined, well, th- this is it in a heartbeat. Scripture alone, not Scripture plus what a church says, not scripture plus a new tradition, not scripture plus uh, when, the, when a, pape, a pope speaks from the chair. No, scripture alone. Uh, sola Christus, by Christ alone, and that is the theme of this Sunday, of what we're talking about. We are not going to be praying to saints. We don't, uh, we don't uh, participate with indulgences. We don't venerate objects like relics. And we cannot add our good works to what Christ has already accomplished as if our good works finalizes something or earns us something greater. They don't. So, La Gratia, it's all based on what God chooses. God gives the gift for you and me. He calls us. And so that eliminates, uh, Ephesians 2.10 would say, Ephesians, uh, no boasting. Right? Not by works of righteousness, lest any of us should boast. It's all from and for Christ. By faith alone. And this is the requirement. And what we would say here is that Christ did not come to save everyone. If he did, everyone would be saved. The condition is faith. I don't trust anyone else to tell me about my eternal issue of my heart. I don't trust anyone else's read. I trust, we trust Christ alone. We believe what he has said and what he has said contradicts with what the world will say about what we should do about our problem. We, we have faith that Christ is the answer and we come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, this is all for the glory of God the Father. And what that indicates, the Reformation indicates, is that this wasn't about you. When you hear the gospel said, or when you hear appeals uh, made in such a way that you're the center, like, oh, oh, Christ was lonely, and he wanted to come and, and create some issue where you could come to him, just right off the bat, no, no. Because here's what I do naturally in my flesh. I venerate myself. And I, that sounds good to my ears. Oh, I'm the center. You're not the center. God sent Jesus to die in our place so that forever and ever and ever, he will get the glory. He will be honored. He will be seen. 
he will be worshipped forever and ever. And so uh, that's what this uh, week is all about. Uh, Martin Luther chose the evening of All Saints Day. And the next day, the All Saints Day on November 1st, they were going to say, okay, let's venerate the saints. And he said the night before, no, we're not going to venerate the saints. Let's venerate Jesus. Let's lift him up and him alone. So we come to this text now, and we want to hear and see where is Christ alone glorified in this passage, all right? So here we're going to start with our our finger on verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The first thing we want to say is through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we experience the undeserved love of God the Father. That's what verses 6 through 8 are underscoring. The undeserved love of God the Father for you and for me. Do you see the words that Paul uses to explain and to describe the, the people of the day? He says, first of all, for while we were weak. You might have a translation that speaks not of weakness, but of being while we were helpless. That means we had nothing in us that, that would have drawn him. We didn't merit a choice. It's not that people uh, in our situation were pretty good and God wanted to do something for us, right? We, in ourselves, we are weak, according to verse 6. At the end of verse 6, do you see, see he continues to, to build a, a cascading case against humanity? Weak, then we're ungodly. That is, I would never have turned to Jesus uh, in my own flesh or for or from the, the volition within me. I would have never turned to him. If weakness speaks of we would not come, then ungodliness speaks of we could not come to him. And then he goes on in verse 8. You see he's got another progressing word. While we were sinners... Christ died for us. So it's not only that we would not and we could not, we weren't ambivalent or neutral, we were actively rebelling against him, going our own way. And this week in your devotions, if you have time, I would strongly encourage you to spend some time in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and watch how Adam, who was our representative, rebelled against God's authority, and here in Romans chapter 5, a little bit later, Paul will say, well, in Adam, all of us sinned, and in Adam, all of us died. That is the, that's the stakes of the cross, that apart from God stepping in, we would not, we could not, and we rebelled against him. So if you came here for some good news this morning, that's, that's it, right? And, and so all of us are like, wait a second, that didn't sound that good. That sounded bad. That sounded really bad. But, you know, it's good, it's good to have a proper understanding of who we are and what we've done. But now let's pick it up again in verse, uh, verse 9. For while we were still weak at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still, uh, I used to watch uh, Sports Center back in the day, and Chris Berman was this old announcer. And whenever a lineman would get the ball and go running down the field, Chris Berman would say, "He's fumbling, he's stumbling, he's he's bumbling." And so that's who we are. We're fumbling, we're bumbling, we're stumbling down the field trying to make it while we were still weak. And here's the implication: 
He didn't wait for you to clean up. He did not wait for you to get holier. He did not wait for you to defeat the addiction. He did not wait for you to stop being angry. He didn't even wait until you would come. The right time for God is when you were helpless, when I was helpless, ungodly, and in complete rebellion against him, and God steps in and says, okay, it's time. It's time for me to do for them what they could never do for for themselves. God saw this situation, and this is perfect timing. This is the precise time for God's love to arrive, for him to keep his promise. Christ died for the weak, the ungodly, the sinners at the very time when we were still sinning and still turned in on ourselves. That is this great, amazing announcement to us that he saw the need. And, and, and him taking initiative in that moment is love. And that's what we want to emphasize. Look, look what it says there in verse uh, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think some of us think, oh, well, God is upset with sin, but Jesus really loves us. And you see what that verse says? No, no. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you. Hear it. His son, Jesus, to die. Guys, he loves us. And here's what we can say, two things. Number one, the plan from God the Father and God the Son is unified. It's one plan. They are in agreement they, they capsulized, they initial, the initial, uh, they, they, they came together to make this plan and they carried it out together. And the second thing we can say is that Jesus coming to die in our place is the same thing as the, the very love of God the Father. And so um, we see this love in verse 9. We see him sending, verse 8, God shows us his love. He put it on display. And that love is still on display today. It's as if that Jesus died in our place, and now for all time there is this this billboard for every generation. And by the way, that, that billboard is held and seen in the church as we just keep holding up the same message Time and time and time again, friends, look at what Jesus did. He died in our place. Look at how that shows us the love of God. Look to Jesus Christ. And that is the mission of this church, and that is the mission of your life and mine as well. God shows his love. He demonstrates his love for us. He, we might say it this way. He proved his love. He showed it. And so here we are in this moment of time with hard things going on, and the emphasis is on in the past and saying, look at the evidence. The evidence is that God orchestrates a plan, sends his son, and that son shows love by dying in our place. And so as we take these elements in just a few moments, we are commemorating the body of Jesus Christ, the love of God, which is broken for you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we see in verses 9 through 10, we know we will always belong to God the Father. The proof is a real-time accomplishment in the past. Jesus said on the cross, it is 
finished. It is accomplished. God said it is proven once for all. And now we might ask the question, yeah, okay, the past is all settled, but look at the future. It's a mess. What will happen to me? What will happen in world events going forward? How can we have any sense of like, like help or peace or confidence? What if God loses his grip on us? And all of verses 9 and 10 are basically saying to you and me, he can't lose his grip on you. He will always hold you and me. Verse 9 says it this way, Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood. That word justification is a, is a word to you and me about the, the effect, the, the content of the accomplishment of Jesus. He justifies those who place their faith and trust in him. Justification is this. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, sin must be paid for. And so we imagine this courtroom where God the Father is, uh, brings you or me before him. And I'll just use myself as an example. And the issue is John is guilty. And listen, as we were singing those songs before, I mean, John's guilty. John is guilty. Broken, ashamed, not always who I should be. Looking back at my past and saying, I cannot believe who I've been. And maybe you're in that same category. You're guilty. And you know it. So standing before God the Father, my plea would be guilty. But Jesus stands and says, the wages of sin is death. But I, I have come, according to the Father's plan, who, who is in this illustration, judging, if you will. We have made arrangements for all the guilty ones. We have made arrangements for all those who are, who are sinners. And here Jesus says, the whole point of what I've accomplished in the past is that I died in the place. So the wages of sin is death, and God must be, uh, must be satisfied. The wrath of God against sin must be satisfied. And Jesus said, yes, but I died. I died. I satisfied the wrath in his place. And it's in that moment where there's this gavel that falls down and he doesn't say John's innocent because he's not. But he does say, anyone who puts their faith and trust in my son and my son alone is acquitted because Jesus has paid the price. And friends, that beautiful picture is what, rec uh, is what uh, justification is all about. It's God declaring uh, us to be acquitted though we are completely guilty and only based on the work of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to uh, Reformation Sunday, we're reminded it's not based on what this church can do for you. It's not based on what any church can do for you. We are organized around worshiping the one who did it all. We are not doing something more for you than Jesus did. We're just a, an affiliation, a congregation, a body, a family of people who all say, Jesus, he's the one, right? So justification is a legal term. You see that in verse uh, uh, 9. As we continue down, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. 
So we have justification and reconciliation. That, that first concept is a legal reality for us. And the second word, reconciliation, is a, a relational word. You guys ever had an argument? I've had, I have been the instigator of an argument or two in my life. Some of us this morning, right? And so here we could have a disagreement and we can work it out and say, yeah, I shouldn't have. And yeah, you shouldn't have either. But okay, all right, all right. So we work it out and we can have this moment where it's like, okay, we, we have this worked out and we said our piece, but we are not on the same page yet. Some coldness in the room. If you're married, you may know what I'm talking about. And so give me a moment. Like right now, the hurt is so front and center and so front of the picture, I just just go away for a minute. Would you please? Would you just go in the other room or give me a minute to think this through? Reconciliation is the removal of the, uh, the offense and then the bringing back together or the restoration of the relationship. It's that moment when you are face-to-face with the person that you were wrong and there's nothing between you anymore. You know you're back on solid footing. You know you are completely in right relationship. And what Paul is saying here in verse 10 is that we have been reconciled to God and we have that gift right now. You have right relationship. He looks you in the eye and says there's nothing between us. Can I just tell you? This issue has held many people away from God. This is the constant conversation I have with people when they say, I have done so many wrong things. I can't believe he would restore the relationship with me. I I can't. I just can't get my brain wrapped around that. And the implication, parentheses, is that's not how I operate, but that's how he operates. When he removes the offense and he restores the relationship and there's absolutely nothing between you and him. It's all based on the grace that he gives us. And so we have this justification and this reconciliation. And you may be saying, well, John, I thought this was about hope. I mean, you talked about like, okay, there's this thing in the past. This is about the future. It is about the future. And here's why. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, there's another much more. Do you see it? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The much more to come in both, in both clauses is a future salvation from a, a wrath or judgment that's yet to come on the world. So that saving is yet to come. So we are in this moment and we're like, well, what about the future? What's going to happen? This argument thing, this much more, is as, as if to say he's already done the really impossible, uh, hard thing for him. So, so saving you, yes. The work of justification, the work of sending Christ, the wisdom of his plan to put his son in your place and for him to accomplish uh, salvation and forgiveness of sin, this intricate design, this loving that he has for you. And now I'm walking through, are you walking through with me Romans 8 in your mind? 
He loves us for knowing you. He knew in advance what was going to happen, that you would choose him. He chose you before you chose him. This calling, this miraculous call he places on your life to call you to himself, this justifying. Here's what, what he's saying. Is, Look, the hard thing's already done. God's already done all of that. It is finished. And now all that's left for him to do is to bring you to himself, avoiding the wrath to come, for God... I'm going to paraphrase. This is not from the Greek. That's a piece of cake. That's not hard for him. If he's already done the hard thing, so as a parent, you may say, well, I've already walked through my kids through their issues of addiction, so Christmas is going to be a piece of cake. I've already put in this morning a walk where I walked three miles. Walking to the kitchen to get water is a piece of cake. If God scales Everest, it's a piece of cake for him to scale Parnell. It's just not hard for him, and that is the picture. In the past, he's accomplished all of these things. The future for God is a piece of cake. He's going to keep you. He's going to help you. You are going to be freed from his wrath in the days to come, and you and I need to take great solace that that is who he is, and that is what he's done. Those who know God through Jesus Christ can take it to the bank. We have a growing faith, a secure confidence. We would use the word hope. And the word hope, as we finalize this kind of second point here, is just this. We are confident that God is at work in the future for our good according to his word. Number three. Through faith in Christ Jesus alone, we rejoice because this reconciliation is already ours. You see that? More than that, it's his final more than statement. This is not going to be hard because look at what God's already done on your behalf in the past and the future settled. And so how should we behave and think? What should be our mindset right now? The answer is verse 11. The present, in the present, this is what's going on. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It seems like the worst things continue to happen. What am I supposed to do with that in this moment? And some of us are, are like, here's an example, right? Israel. And what is going on in Israel? I've been watching, you've been watching the news, and the question, what do we do? What can we do? And here is what I believe the application of verse 11 for what you can do for Israel. More than that, we also rejoice in God. And I would just say the application point is that we are prayerful. Being prayerful for the needs of Israel at this moment is no small thing. I'm not talking about, oh, you're at a stoplight and you remember for a minute or hear the radio and you're like, okay, I got to pray. Okay, that's a great place to start. But I'm talking about putting everything away, going to the throne room of God the Father and asking him by the power of his spirit to have mercy on the people of his covenant. Have mercy. And the second thing you can do Verse 11, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I watched this interview yesterday, and they said, listen, 
Here's what you can do. Don't waste time on worrying about us. We're going to ask the Lord to help us, and we're going to just be faithful. What does God want for you? He wants your, your lamp full of oil when Jesus returns. He wants your wick trimmed. He wants you to love your family in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants you to put your anger away. He wants you to realize that the word, the, the name of Jesus on your lips shows the people around you what you value the most as you treasure him and speak clearly and, and often about who he is and what he's done. He wants you to rejoice in him. And so there is something you can do. It's just that. Be faithful where you are. In being faithful where we are, we are doing exactly what Christ has called us to do, holding on to him and realizing it's him and him alone that's going to reconcile us to Jesus. And so, by faithfully rejoicing in God, in Jesus Christ, because Jesus in the past has paid for my sins, because my future is settled, and right now, here's what I'm going to do with my anxiety and my trouble and my obvious uh, awareness of what's going on in the world. I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to ask him to use my small sacrifice to reach this generation with the love of Jesus Christ. So as we come to this table this morning, friends, we are coming, and I want you, as you hold these elements in your hands, to realize that these elements point back to Jesus. They point to Jesus and him alone. So as we hold them, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. And what we've seen in this passage today is the Lord's death and God's love is the exact same thing. We are proclaiming God's love and Christ's death together here in this place until he comes back. Let's pray. Father, help us, we pray this morning, to honor the name of Christ. Help us, Lord, as we, as we take these elements to see Jesus clearly, to see Jesus only. I pray for the one who is troubled of heart, and we today can say, okay, looking back, I see all the love. God's love is already available. Let me feel it, know it, treasure. In the future, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And in the present, we will rejoice faithfully together and ask that you do what only you can do. Lift up the name of Jesus, we pray, as we take these elements. In Jesus' name.